Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where... What's that smell? It's knowledge, Sarah. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Are you making pizza rolls? some pizza rolls that does sound really good actually anyway so today uh top of the episode you have corrections corner. i have corrections uh it's more like a corrections like it's a very small corner um first of all i it's got a the, corrections nook it's a corrections nook i uh made a mistake in the whiskey episode in saying that i had jack daniels cherry flavored whiskey it is in fact jim beam i those jim beam and jack daniels fans now are both just incensed i'm I know. sure that's the red stag or whatever. It's fine. Like I said, I prefer the green apple flavor. But secondly, it was brought to my attention that at no point in the whiskey episode did we address that resident Canadian Sadie was not actually holding a physical penis. It was a weed gummy that looked like a penis. I love that you like left that in there anyway. I know. Like... I didn't, it was a big episode to edit, dude. Uh, I know we mentioned it earlier, but I was like, no, that's a weird, so I took it out, and then I just left that part in because you were funny to me. I mean, I am always funny, but. (laughs) And I didn't really, like, register that we we didn't mention, it's, it's not an actual penis. I mean, I think people can gather that from context clues. I received some very all caps text this morning when the episode dropped. (laughs) So those are my corrections, my apologies. Um, Let's talk about perfume. Yeah, let's do that. I I would love to listen to you talk, Emily. And actually remember it this time, because... All right, so my sources... Um, we're kind of all over the place. Like, this is one of those episodes where I had some main sources, but then I just kind of had to Google some random shit so I knew what it was. Oh, yeah, I do that all the time. So my main sources were a thoughtco.com article called The Long History of Perfume, a, a Bustle article called The Strange History of Perfume from Ancient Roman Foot Fragrance to Napoleon's Cologne. Foot Napoleon fragrance. wore a lot of cologne. I don't know if I mentioned specifically in this episode, but Napoleon wore gallons of cologne i cannot wait to hear about foot fragrance a perfume.com article about how perfume is made a fragrancex.com uh article about how perfume is made and experimentalperfumeclub.com slash make perfume if anyone's interested because what's gonna happen in this episode about perfume is first i'm going to explain oh shit i forgot two of my uh biggest sources my own brain and uh, the film and book perfume story of a murderer one of the greatest films ever made. I haven't seen it yet. It's streaming on Amazon, which you have my password to. Um, so it's fiction, but it gives a really great feel for how important perfume was in high society in France in the 1700s and how big of an industry it actually created. And B, how bad everyone smelled in France in the 1700s. Just horrid, I'm sure. They don't, like, gloss it up like some movies. Like, everyone looks like they fucking stink. <laughs> It's a uh, really movie. selling the movie right there. It's great. No, uh, Ben Wishaw's in it. That's all I should have to say. I mean, I recognize that it's a good movie. I just haven't seen it. So good. It's so good. It's about a serial killer who makes perfume. Like, mm. and it's a period piece. 
Anyway, those are my sources. So what's going to happen is first I'm going to explain to everybody how their nose works. Then we're going to talk about the history. Then we're going to talk about different methods of making perfume. And then I'm going to teach you guys how to make your own perfume oil. Hmm. Which I did extensively for a while. I know. I've got some perfume you made. Which one do you have? I think Hard Kill. Mm, I don't think I talk about that one. It wasn't my favorite, but everyone fucking loved it because it was my favorite murder themed. I like it, honestly. It's it's very, it's kind of like an earthy scent. If that, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to, I'm bad at describing smells, but it, yeah. Very savory. The one that I, I, I give two, um, and one is, I fucking forgot what it was called. Um, and then my dear Watson, which is like a more masculine scent. Incidentally, uh, perfume, not gendered. Just throwing that out. Like, some scents appeal to some people. Oh, yeah. That's how that works. So are you going to talk about what the difference is between perfume and cologne besides branding? Or is there yeah. an actual uh, thing? Uh, there's some terminology that's that's weird. Raven I'll let you sweat. do the teaching. So far, not off topic, but I haven't done this in a long time. I haven't had to present in a while. I mean, you did hangovers, but... I don't remember barely. that one. I barely did it. <laughs> okay, so the word perfume comes from the Latin phrase perfume. Really? Meaning through smoke. Oh, that's very evocative. Yep. But first, let's discuss how your nose do, because that feels important. Not important enough that I remembered to put it in my notes before like an hour and a half ago, but still pretty important is that there's little men inside your nose and when you take a big whiff of something i i don't have an ending for it according to the how stuff works article that i got this from that's exactly how it works i think there's also a magic school bus about it oh is it the episode where they shrink really small and go inside someone's nose yes yeah Uh, i think it's the one where they're participating in a smell off the smelling competition that's really all i have for you um Um, okay continue (laughs) Smell is a very direct sense. In order for you to smell something, molecules from the thing that have the smell have to make it to your nose. Everything you smell, therefore, is giving off molecules, whether it's bread, onions, perfume, a piece of fruit, whatever. A person. My lotion. um, These molecules are generally very light, volatile, which means they easily evaporate. um, And they float through the air to your nose. Very gently. This article says a piece of steel has no smell because nothing evaporates from it, but that's a lie. Steel does have a smell. But is it like the steel smell or is it like rust or something that's coming off of it? I didn't actually look into why metal smells, but I guess steel in its purest form doesn't have a smell. So at the top of your nasal passages behind your nose, there's a patch of special neurons about the size of a postage stamp. Uh, These neurons are unique in that they are out in the open where they can come in contact with the air. They have hair-like projects, projections called cilia that increase their surface area. An odor molecule binds to these hairs to trigger the neuron and cause you to perceive a smell. Hmm. I actually learned something. I hope that at some point in my episodes you do learn things. Uh, so according to the book my, my Molecular Biology of the Cell... I on- I honestly thought you were going to cite perfume story of murder there for a second. No, I do talk about it later. <laughs> uh, humans can distinguish more than 10,000 different smells, which are detected by specialized olfactory receptor neurons lining the nose. Emily, what's your favorite smell? Oh, God damn. Like, I've thought about this a lot because there's that potion Harry Potter that's supposed to smell like your favorite things. Mm-hmm. So it's like 
Earl Grey tea. Good that's, one. Yeah, that smell of rain on hot pavement. Yes. Rain smells the best. Yeah, and man, the last one's really hard because like it can vary. It's like Old Spice. <laughs> the Old Spice that has a picture of a bear on it. That's very specific. I live with a very specific person. Who <laughs> Does he only buy it if it has a bear on it? Uh, well, he actually went through a period for a very long time where he only bought that Old Spice because he liked that it had a bear on it. I don't <laughs> think he actually had strong feelings about the actual the smell. I mean, that's what I was getting at was the bear is the selling point of that to him, which I just knowing Travis would imagine. Well, he had to buy shampoo the other day. And like we stood there and like and there was, was no shampoos with bears on them. Just wait. And I was like, well, OK, what what issues do you have with your hair that you'd like to fix? And then he laughed and grabbed two bottles. And he's like, these are blue and then walked away. So <laughs> boys. Anyway. <laughs> What's your favorite smell? I really like freshly mown grass, mm. which feels very basic, but it's such a good smell. I used to like it, and then I developed like a very serious grass allergy. <laughs> oh, that's depressing. Yeah. Um, I also do like rain smell, and I love the gasoline smell. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I also, and this is going to sound weird, I like a little bit of the smell of cigarette smoke because it... <laughs> reminds me of being on vacation in the 90s i say i love cigarette smoke too. like i don't actually want to sit in the room of it but i love like just catching a waft of it yeah and I, like neither of my parents smoked but since it was the 90s like there were smoking every time section. you yeah every time you went to a restaurant yeah and like we went to reno a lot which i know is like white <laughs> trash vegas but it's just nice sometimes i mean you're not supposed to like sniff gasoline but it's still an okay smell it's nice to, like, get out of your car at the gas station and just have it in the atmosphere. Yeah. 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 This, this is the episode where we really just start sounding super weird. So, uh, it is thought that there are hundreds of different olfactory receptors, each encoded by a different gene and each recognizing different smells. Hmm. Uh, each of the hundreds of receptors are encoded by a specific gene, like I just said, I believe. Uh, if your DNA is missing a gene or that gene is damaged, it can cause you to be unable to detect a certain smell. So, for example, some people have no sense of smell for uh, camphor, which is like a medicinal, like Vicks vapor rub smell. Oh, yeah. When you smell many fruits or flowers, what you're actually smelling is esters evaporating from the fruit or flower. Um and they are just basically organic molecules that the flower gives off. Uh, for example, the ester that gives bananas a smell is called isomyl acetate. And the primary smell of an orange comes from octyl acetate. So it's like chemicals. You're smelling chemicals. But the natural chemicals. Natural chemicals. This is why I have a problem with people who are like, don't buy anything if you can't pronounce the ingredient. Like, fuck you. <laughs> There's plenty of natural stuff I can't pronounce. <gasps> That's how your nose do. The ancient Egyptians were the first to incorporate perfume into their culture, followed by the ancient Chinese, Hindus, Israelites, Carthinian, Carthi Carthinians, people from Carthage, Carthaginians, Carthaginians. Yes. Uh, Arabs, Greeks, and nice Romans. Yeah. I don't think anyone here is surprised that the Egyptians had something to do with this since they've been popping they had... up a lot lately. Really? Yeah, in any all... history episode that we do. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like they helped, you know, create things. However, the oldest perfumes ever have been found uh, by archaeologists in Cyprus. Uh, they are more than 4, 
thousand years old. Damn. A, yes, a cuneiform tablet from Mesopotamia dating back more than 3,000 years identifies a woman as the first recorded perfumer. But also perfumes could be found in India at that time. Uh, so like I said, the Egyptians were huge fans of perfume, and they used it both for ceremonial and beautification purposes. Uh, fragrance was thought to be the sweat of the sun god Ra. Just all fragrance, I guess. Like anything uh, that smells nice? Yeah. They even had a god of perfume, Nefertum, hmm. who wore a headdress made of water lilies, which is one of the biggest perfume ingredients of the time. Archaeologists have also uncovered many Egyptian recipes and elaborate prescriptions for perfume making. Uh, they imported huge amounts of perfume ingredients from Punt. Punt? It's a region of Africa. Never heard of it. Um, and they specialize in aromatic woods and myrrh. Ooh, that sounds nice. If you were a king or other person of high status in Egyptian society, scented perfume oils were an everyday accessory. If you were poor, you just smelled. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. Smelling nice is only for rich people. Yeah, I mean, so we're, like, wearing colors and... <laughs> and eating. Yeah. Uh, the ancient Persian royal class were also big perfume users. They dominated the perfume trade for hundreds of years, and many believe that they invented the distillation process that led to the discovery of base alcohol, which I'm pretty sure that you covered a little bit in yep. the whiskey episode. A Persian doctor, chemist, and philosopher, <laughs> hell of a business card, uh, experimented extensively with distillation to try and make better sense, and was the first to figure out the chemistry behind perfumes that weren't oil-based. Um, and we'll get into the distillation process as it applies to perfumes later when we talk about, like, the actual methods of creation. You're not just going to say, see the whiskey episode? No. You know, <clears throat> grind your perfume into grist and... None of those icky <laughs> words. <laughs> going back, the world's oldest perfume factory uh, unearthed in Cyprus... Um, which is also the mythological home of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. But it probably wasn't a coincidence. The cult of Aphrodite had a strong cultural link to perfume that meant that this perfume factory is probably supplying scents for temples and worshippers. And perfume is often used in ancient societies to bring believers closer to the gods. So kind of like the Egyptians, but that also carried over with the Greeks and the Romans. Mm -hmm. uh, perfumes found in that... Uh, perfume factory date back more than 4,000 years and were discovered in a 30... Oh, Jesus Christ. My notes started to scroll without my permission. Oh, I thought you were, like, really surprised at what the number was. <laughs> no, I read these. Uh, so the perfumes factory... Um, bah, the perfumes were found in a factory that was over 3,200 square feet. That is very large. I can right? see why you were surprised. <laughs> And now I'm going to have to leave in the part where, like, I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> anyway, so it housed at least 60 stills, mixing bowls, funnels, and perfume bottles. Um, and incidentally, the Egyptians invented glass perfume bottles, um, which is one of the first common uses for glass. Were they pretty? But I assume. We'll get some pictures up on the Instagram. Yeah. This is kind of an abstract episode for, like, pictures. Yeah, there might be not a lot of slides. I mean, although I will say if that only you, Instagram had a scratch and sniff feature. Get on it, right? Mark Zuckerberg. Actually, no, um, thank you. I don't. I don't no. want that. You uh, did describe a still that I was having trouble wrapping my head around in the last episode, and then posted a picture of it on Instagram for the whiskey episode. So <laughs> you're welcome. Yes. Uh, so scent obviously wasn't just for religious purposes. By 180, Romans were estimated to have used 28. 100 tons of frankincense per year. 
Yike. And perfume was used in beauty products, public baths, and even on the soles of feet. And to uh, get your vagina back in the right place. Your uterus. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, I forgot that I bring something up in this that you are not going to like. Oh, uh, what? Just... It's later. You'll know. (laughs) The ancient Chinese relationship with scent didn't really focus on the body. So rather than wearing perfume, uh, in the Chinese culture, they utilize scent by burning incense and fragrant material in special spaces. Hmm. So like me with the four candles I have scattered across my apartment. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Um, Histories of the use of scent in Chinese society tend to emphasize that perfumes weren't originally considered a cosmetic. Rather, they were used for disinfection and purity, as was believed they could eliminate disease from rooms, since sometimes sick people smell, so logically removing that scent might help relieve the illness. I mean, I feel like for most of human history, all disease theory was smell-based, so that makes sense to me. It comes up again later. Yeah. Um, so while scented flowers were part of traditional gardens and mandarin oranges and mandarin oranges were once used by noble women to scent their hands, it seems that for centuries wearing perfume on your body wasn't necessarily trendy in China, even though it was a thing in some societies. So like they liked things that smelled nice, but they didn't make it a priority to make themselves smell nice. I mean, who doesn't like just things that smell nice? Yeah. But- Hence the billion... Just thinking about, like, mandarin oranges on your hands. Like, you're never going to get that smile to go away. <laughs> Many have tried. <laughs> According to historians, the period between the Sioux and Song dynasties did have occurrences of personal perfumes, with nobles competing for the best scents and importing ingredients via the Silk Road, which were the land routes connecting East Asia, Southeast Asia, um, South Asia, Persia, the Arabian Peninsula, East Africa, and Southern Europe. Did they all have a signature scent? I don't know. (laughs) By about 1644, the emperor seemed to have carried a perfume pouch year-round, which is an adaptation of the traditional pocket pouch that brought good luck, except he stuffed his with fragrant herbs, which is a thing that will again come up later. The, the, The thing with perfume is that, like, it's evolved a little over the years, but also it, like, hasn't. I mean, it's such a very basic thing. Yeah, it's... It's a nice smelling thing that you put on yourself, so you smell nice. Yeah, the there haven't been any big, like big technological advances in yeah. perfumery. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a lot like whiskey and that like we've been doing it the same way pretty much. Like the basic process is the same. We just in- have industrialized it so we can mass produce stuff. Yeah, pretty much. So the big difference between China and other perfume traditions, a lot of Chinese perfume ingredients were also used for other things like food and medicine. Which, to be fair, like, perfume stuff can also technically be used in those things, but in different forms. Right. Because, you know, some people like perfume that smells like food. Like the cotton candy body spray that every one of my sixth grade class wore. We'll also talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you remember those little, like, heart-shaped spray bottles that had, like, the the wrist uh, wristlet on it that smelled like gummy bear? I think they sold them at uh, Walmart. Oh, those do sound familiar, like a gummy bear and like, it's all like candy scents, right? Yeah, and like Leighton Meester from Gossip Girl was the model on the gummy bear bottle. <laughs> Don't remember that, but... It's a big Leighton Meester fan. It came up. Anyways. Yeah, how we all smelled like absolute garbage for, what, 10, 12 years? Pretty much. Most of the late 90s into the early 2000s, I would imagine, yeah. I mean, you could even get stuff that smelled like fruit roll-ups at Victoria's Secret, like is recently is five years ago the last time i stepped into a victoria's secret 
I was going to say, I feel like you can still get like Dr. Pepper flavored lip smackers or something. Okay, that's different. <laughs> Those are delicious. <laughs> to eat? Yes. It's just like a petroleum jelly and wax. Sure, it's non-toxic. It has to be to put it on your mouth, right? Yeah, no, I also made lipsticks for a while. It's pretty basic. Yeah. Okay, so while all of this stuff is cool, uh, the rise of Christianity, however, saw a decline in the use of perfume for much of the Dark Ages. <sighs> yeah, no one's surprised. It, what it a buzzkill. Again and again and again. <laughs> it died off with perfume. I mean, with uh, makeup and everything else nice. And everything just smelled and was terrible for centuries. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Uh, not that things didn't smell when we had perfume. It was just, you know, I would imagine a brave attempt to cover it up. Yeah, for the most part, later on, that is exactly what it was. Um, So it was the Muslim world that kept the traditions of perfume alive during this time and helped trigger its revival with the onset of international trade, which I believe we talked about that in the makeup episode. Yeah. So let's just skip through all of those years that people kind of reeked, except if you lived in the Middle East, because nothing really changed in, you know, methods. So if you were anybody in Europe... (laughs) Yeah, they were the Dark Ages for, like, a reason, right? Or we allude to them as the Dark Ages because, like, no progress was really being made. Exactly. But if you were anybody in Europe from the 1200s to about the 1600s, you carried a pomander, which was a ball of scented material, usually, like, wax, kept inside an open case and used to ward off infection and keep the air around you clean. Good try. Well, since medieval Europeans literally thought bad air could make you sick, like the theory that we talked about er earlier, uh, but it's also called the theory of miasma. Yep. Which theorized that diseases were suspended in badly scented, unhealthy air. So, like I said, we didn't let go of that theory for quite some time. I love that it's like, it's so close to being right. Like, the idea that there's, like, invisible things in the air that can make you sick. Like, it's so close. It's close. So these pomanders were actually seen as health aids as well as accessories. Like masks. Except masks do something. Wear your fucking masks. Oh, my God. It's not hard. PSA. It's really not hard. There's some really fucking cute masks out there. Just gonna go ahead. I just bought one with Mushroom the Possum on it. Oh my god, I forgot about that. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, like, I'm very much addicted to the park candy uh, masks. They're fucking adorable. Uh, The idea of portable perfume seems to have popped up in the Middle Ages after the Crusaders, returning home from the Holy Wars in Ah. Arabia, also Ah. brought back their enemies' perfume-making secrets, to the surprise of absolutely fucking no one. Even though the idea of personal oil-based perfumes didn't catch on, they discovered that civet, castor, musk, ambergris, and other animal-based products made for great bases for scents and carried scent bags or sachets to perfume their clothes. But the first alcohol-based perfume was also created in this period. It was known as Hungary water because it was like the uh, country. Oh, yeah, that's what I assumed. Yes, Uh, because it was believed to have been created for the Queen of Hungary during the 14th century and involved distilled alcohol and herbs, probably rosemary and mint. That sounds very pleasant. That is the exact scent of the hair mask slash hair color that I use. And do those smell good? Yeah, no, my hair smells dope. Overtone, if you'd like to sponsor us. I need to be like an influencer. Yeah, get on that. 
Well, I was thinking, like, I'd love to be a Disney influencer. I don't have the fucking money to be a Disney influencer. I was going to say the upfront investment to get to the point where they start sending you stuff for free has got to be... You gotta have so much money for clothes. Like, I would love to sit around and put together Disney character-themed outfits all the time, but, like, I don't have the money to actually purchase those things. Also, being plus-size means that my options are limited. The world is deeply unfair. Isn't it? (laughs) Guess I could be a Disney food influencer. Now that I could get on board with. We'll discuss this later. (laughs) (laughs) So, animal-based ingredients. Yes. Musk and whatnot. Prepare yourselves. Oh, is this the part I'm not going to like? Nope, we're still not there yet. Damn it. You're really not going to like what I'm. what's coming up later. You're just moderately not going to like this. So uh, musk, a popular scent even now, is secretion from the musk pod of the male musk deer, which is an organ used for marking territory. I mean, I kind of figured it was something along those lines. I just didn't know there was a specific like deer called the musk deer. Whatever. Uh, civet is a liquid from the anal glands of a civet cat. Okay. Castor is made from the sun glands of beavers. This sounds familiar. And ambergris is a gray oily lump found in the digestive system of sperm whales, probably a byproduct of trying to digest squid. That's very cool. Are you saying that's very cool in, like, the way that you say it to, like, your 10-year-old nephew who's trying to show you his, like, Fortnite game or, like, genuinely cool? I think that's genuinely cool. Like, it's so, it's just... Who found these things and was like, oh, yeah, that's... Yes, the mm. smells great. Like, just the idea that, like, a whale ate a squid, didn't successfully digest it, and then someone... Speared that whale, brought it on shore, cut it open, found it. Like, it's just so... And then continued finding it. There's so much. There's just so much also, that goes into that. squeezing the anal glands of civet cat? You know what they say, history is written by the perverts. <laughs> A serious breakthrough in uh, perfume production... Right after I said that there really haven't been any developments. A serious breakthrough in perfume production came in medieval Italy when they discovered how to create aqua mirabilis, mirabilis, whatever, a clear substance made of 95% alcohol and imbued scent. And thus, liquid perfume was born. After this invention, Italy, Venice in particular, became the center of the world perfume trade for several hundred years. And then it got taken away. <laughs> Catherine, By France? Yes. Uh, Catherine de Medici is thought to be the person who brought perfume making and popularity to France and, oh, yeah. by extension, the rest of Europe. That's usually how it goes. Yes. As the Italian wife of the French king, she had her own perfume made up for her by Italian perfu- uh, perfumer René Le Florentine. Or René the Florentine. Was he from Florence? A uh, And it was a scented water with bergamot and orange blossoms, which sounds delightful. That sounds... I will buy anything with bergamot, yeah. like, listed on the label. Sure. Like, my go-to perfume oil is literally just Earl Grey scented. Yeah. We'll talk about the perfumes we wear at the end of the episode, because that's always very exciting. Uh, he also created musk and civet-scented gloves for her, which were a sensation with the noble class, even though it sounds gross as shit. <laughs> Just squeeze those little anal glands and rub it into your gloves. 
Uh, from there, things really took off. Uh, perfume did briefly fall out of popularity again in Victorian England, um, and synthetic compounds began to be discovered in late 1800s, and thus the modern perfume industry was born. Because with the creation of... Um, uh, why can't I think of the word that I literally just said? Synthetic. Oh, right. Because, uh, yeah, with synthetic compounds, you are able to create a wider range of smells, and then you get into, like, the blending and... You don't, and you don't have to go hunting sperm whales. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you also have that freedom of, like, not having to have it smell like a specific thing. You can have it smell like an idea, mm-hmm. which is a big thing in perfuming, which we will talk about later. I feel like I've said that a lot, but I do get to this stuff. Which we will talk about later should be the title of the episode. <laughs> okay, so that's how we got to, like, perfume as it is. Now, pretty much. Um, but how is perfume actually made? How is perfume actually made, Emily? <laughs> so many ancient Roman and Greek perfume recipes have survived, including some written by historical weirdo Pliny the Elder. Is he going to be in every episode? or <laughs> That was the part that I was ramping you up for. Oh, that was it? Yep. You really overhyped it. You just had a very visceral reaction to Pliny the Elder in the Hangover episode, so I was preparing I was... myself. Oh, drunk, Emily. You can't hold any of that against me. <sighs> All right. Anyway, so there are so many of these perfume recipes have survived that we are actually able to recreate ancient perfumes now. Do they still smell good? Like two modern noses? I mean, I haven't smelled them personally. And like I said earlier, scent is a very personal thing. Not fair. Uh, so the ancient Greeks and Romans carefully documented their perfume making process. In fact, there's even a mural in a perfume maker's house in Pompeii documenting the process of making Greco-Roman perfumes. And then they were volcanoed. Then Kit Harington showed up, and no one <laughs> saw that movie. Did you see that movie, Emily? Of course I saw that movie. <laughs> In theaters. In 3D. The fuck do you think I am? I also saw Silent Hill Revelation in theaters in 3D. Kit Harington isn't worth it. Honey. <laughs> Tell that to me five years ago. <laughs> Fuck, tell that to me now. You seen that bitch? I mean, I I get it, but <laughs> I've watched worse movies for Chris Pine. I mean, yeah, but Chris Pine. Isn't that stupid fucking train movie with Danny Glover? I love that movie. What? <laughs> I also went to see that movie specifically for Chris Pine, and it was great. Have you seen Blind Dating? No. He plays a blind man from an Italian family that looks nothing like him. <laughs> Who goes to a medical facility to get his sight back and meets a lovely uh, Indian receptionist who's engaged to someone else. And then he gets his sight back and it's like a whole fucking thing. And you cry for the last 45 minutes. I'm almost sure you've described this to me and it has made me not want to watch it. There is a sequence where his like short, hairy little brother is trying to get him a date because he can't. And I'm like, that's I already don't fucking believe it. (laughs) He's blind, okay, but it's still Chris Pine. And also, being blind isn't a deal breaker of any variety. No. (laughs) It's just a thing. (laughs) Anyway, so the Greco-Roman perfume method. (laughs) Right, continue. Oil was made by pressing olives. Then ingredients like plants and woods were added to the oil using uh, scale measurements from a recipe. And finally, they were left to steep. 
Um, so the ingredients were left in the oil for a while so the oil could take on its scent because oil is fatty and fat just kind of like gloms on to these scent molecules. Yeah. I can't make the noise with my mouth, but. That's why you should always wrap your butter up before you put it in the fridge or else it'll take on the smell of everything in the fridge. I leave my butter in a butter dish, but we'll unpack that later. (laughs) Off air. Don't you have like butter for spreading and then butter you keep in the fridge for like cooking? I mean, I have like butter. I keep like I keep the butter in the fridge, and then I like take out one stick at a time and put it in the butter dish. But how do you measure like if a if a recipe calls for one tablespoon of butter, how do you measure the butter if you've taken it out of the wrapper? I'll probably take a wrapper out of the fridge, or like I'll take one of the sticks from the fridge. Yeah, that's what I mean. And then like if you only use two tablespoons, you're not going to put it in the butter dish because you already have shit in the butter dish. You wrap it up, put it back in the fridge. I mean, I usually use all of it. Like I'm never like cooking two tablespoons at a time. I'm usually making what? like a batch of like I'm usually making like a batch of cookies that calls for a whole but stick like of butter. Macaroni and cheese. Oh, that is just like you have like half of it left and you put it in the butter dish. Oh my god. Anyways. So this is one of the earliest methods <laughs> of making perfume. But people have been very good about coming up with more effective ways to extract fragrance from things over the years until it just kind of s- fucking stopped in like the 1800s. And then we were like, that's enough. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> this is where I will again encourage you to watch Perfume because it does a very good job of demonstrating these practices because it is a integral part of the plot. Firstly, yes, you can just squeeze something so hard they release scent. Um, so the expression method works for things that actually have a high enough oil content to do that, like uh, civet cat anal glands like, and citrus peels. Like the glands, yes. Oh, yeah. Citrus peels. Like, you brush your hand against a citrus peel and you're going to smell like an orange for 12 hours. Yeah. So, like, some things are oily enough that where you can do that. But sometimes that's not the case. Um, So then you have maceration, which, to put it very simply, the plant matter or whatever you're trying to extract scent from is mashed up and placed in an alcohol or liquid oil solution and left to sit for a while. Uh, The fragrance is imparted to the medium after a while. And after a while, the mixture is strained and you have scented oil or alcohol. Um, this is the method described in the mural from Pompeii and is, to my knowledge, still used in some cases. Hmm. Um, and then there's, this is going to sound super dweeby, but my favorite method, the enfleurage. Ooh, it does sound fancy. Uh, so this is an 18th century French process that uses odorless fats that are solid at room temperature to capture the fragrant compounds exuded by plants. So those ethyls. Ethyls? Oh, okay. That is what I said, yeah. So you just, like, put the fat in with... I have three paragraphs on this, so you're going to find out. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It works similarly to the way that maceration works in that the fat molecules absorb the fragrance, but the application is different. So in cold enfleurage, a large framed plate of glass called a chassis covered with a layer of animal fat, usually lard, which comes from pork, or tallow, which comes from beef. You'd think they'd have a smell... But they don't. I guess if you, like, get the actual, like, fat fat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's allowed to set until it's firm but not hard. So then petals, sometimes whole flowers, are placed on the fat, and the scent is allowed to diffuse into the fat over the course of one to three days. The process is then repeated by replacing the uh, old flowers with fresh ones until the fat has reached the desired level of saturation. Despite the animal fat part, that sounds very, like, delicate. And yeah, I mean, yeah. in uh, in perfume, there's actually like a 
sequence where it's just a bunch of <clears throat> small-handed people sitting at a table with these glass panes, like carefully placing individual flowers into this fat. You're going to have to start referring to it by its full name, because the movie, I mean. <sighs> perfume, the story of a murderer. I mean, because the episode is about perfume. Like, I'm just sure refer to the movie as perfume. there isn't a sequence in this episode where we're performing cold enflorage. No, I'm just saying the subject of the episode is perfume. So you can't just say, you can't cite the subject that we're talking about. Also, I just want to make you say the name of the movie over again and again. In Hot Enflorage, Turtle takes solid, no, um, that was an entourage joke. <clears throat> uh, solid fats are heated and botanical matter is stirred into the fat. Um, spent botanicals are repeatedly strained from the fat and replaced with fresh material until the fat is saturated with fragrance. So it's it's a lot like maceration, mm-hmm. but in some cases it is referred to as hot on fleurage, which sounds like sexier. Which sounds way cooler. Sexier than maceration for I sure. Said, like I'm that's gonna be my band name. <laughs> hot on fleurage. Hell yeah. Uh, in both instances, once the fat is saturated with fragrance, it is then called the enfleurage pomade. The pomade uh, was either sold as it was, or it could be further washed and soaked in ethyl alcohol to draw the fragrant molecules into the alcohol. The alcohol was then separated from the fat and allowed to evaporate, leaving behind the absolute of the botanical matter. The spent fat is usually used to make soap since it's still pretty fragrant. Uh, Mm. This method isn't used as much now just due to the amount of resources and time that it takes to create the pomade. Right. That seems like very, like, somewhat on Etsy. (laughs) Yeah, someone on Etsy is out there putting, like, lilies into lard. For sure. Um, All right. So now we're going to talk about distillation. Hey, I know what that is. (laughs) So a common technique for obtaining aromatic Aromatic compounds from plants such as orange blossoms and roses is distillation. The raw material is heated and the fragrant compounds are recollected through the condensation of distilled vapor, which yeah. we talked about in whiskey. So the same, instead of like the alcohol molecules you're trying to condense, it's just you boil it all up and... Yeah, pretty much. The end result is just a more concentrated version of whatever you are boiling. Yeah. yeah. So for steam distillation, steam from boiling water is passed through the raw material, which drives out their fragrant compounds. The condensation from uh, this is settled in a flask, which allows for easy separation of the fragrant oils from the water. The water collected from the condensation uh, retains some of the fragrant compounds and oils from the raw material. Wow, that was two sentences that I just made into, like, one. (laughs) The water collected from the condensation, which retains some of the fragrant compounds, and oils from the raw material is called hydrosol and sometimes sold. So, like, the combination of the two, I believe, is called hydrosol, mm-hmm. um, which it can be good for your skin, depending on the products used. I want to say that there's a... <coughs> Holy shit! I just, like, either was possessed for a second by, like, a 90-year-old smoker, or... Are you been talking for 50 minutes? Okay. So, that's steam distillation, which I think I just did a horrible job of explaining, however. Um, there's also dry or destructive distillation, where the raw materials are heated in a still without water. Interesting. Uh, this method is used to obtain fragrant compounds from, uh, like, amber and fragrant woods, where an oh, intentional yeah. burned or toasted odor is desired. Hmm. And then there's fraction fractionation through the Bad use name. of a fractionation column which is a glass column with different layers that allow the distillate to cool and then heat up again and rise to another layer and then cool again, which 
I might be wrong, I barely pass chemistry. So different fractions distilled from material can be selective excluded to modify the scent of the final product. So I believe this is the method that you posted the picture of with the whiskey episode where it's like that tube and it has different layers. Oh, no, no, no. That was the coffee stuff because then you like feed it into the top and it just kind of goes down one level to the next to the next all the way to the bottom. Okay, well, this is I guess is the opposite of that. A reverse coffee still. Yeah, where you heat it up at the bottom and then it hits those different layers. So you can take out certain sense so if like the third layer up has like a weird bitter note that you don't want it it's it goes away so this means that the perfume perfumer can control the process to a certain degree and select certain characteristics this method is pretty spendy but it is widely used among perfumers because you can take out unpleasant notes mm-hmm. you can really customize it to what you yeah need. it's it's a little more finicky but distillation is one of the main natural processes for obtaining scents because there are synthetics that are careful combinations of chemicals and science that I'm not going to get into. Yeah, that's a little above, I think, what we can describe in this podcast. They make it with atoms. Yeah, molecules and stuff. Uh, So let's talk about the different extractions, what the different extractions using these processes are called, and um, how that's mixed to create different perfume products. And then I'll teach you how to make your own perfume. So although fragrant extracts are known to the general public as the generic term essential oils, more Mm -hmm. specific language is used in the fragrance industry to describe the source, purity, technique used to obtain a particular fragrant extract. Of these, only absolutes, essential oils, and tinctures are directly used to create perfumes. So we have absolute, um, where fragrant materials are purified from a pomade by soaking them in ethanol. Uh, by using slightly hydrophilic, which is things that mix well with water, uh, things such as ethanol, most of the fragrant compounds from the wax uh, or fatty source material can be extracted without dissolving any of the fragrantless fat molecules. Okay. Uh, absolutes are usually found in the form of an oily liquid. So like I said earlier with the, with the distillation, the steam distillation, um, absolutes are kind of like a hydrosol. Or it's like an oily water because it hasn't been separated okay, yeah. properly. Please, someone correct me if I'm wrong. This is all marginally over my head, but like not quite. I'm sinking, but I can still kind of see the. <laughs> all right. And then we have essential oil, which will not cure all of your problems. Okay. So please stop inviting me to Facebook groups. <laughs> Fragrant materials that have been extracted from a source material directly through distillation or expression and obtained in the form of an oily liquid are called essential oils. Oils extracted through squeezing are sometimes called expression oils, which sounds icky. What, you don't like to express yourself? (sighs) So yeah, if you have like something that you've achieved through distillation that's just like an oil, but is not an absolute, so I'm not mistaken... Yeah. yeah. Absolutes are formed when you have like a pomade. So um, on fleurage usually produces an absolute if you're going to wash it okay. with alcohol. Essential oils are more through distillation, which is why they're gotcha. technically more common. Easier to get. Yeah. yeah. And then you have tinctures, which are fragrant materials produced by directly soaking and infusing raw materials in ethanol. Okay. So you're just using the alcohol to suck out the smell from something. Right. Like the way you would make, like, gummy bear vodka. Exactly. That's technically a tincture. <laughs> it's just sweet vodka. I don't know what yeah, to tell you guys. Yeah, this is not something I've ever done. Cause Unless you're disgusting. picking out specific colored gummy bears. 
Yeah. It's kind of like fruit loops. how you're supposed to do it. I don't know. I've just like seen tutorials on like Pinterest. All right. So you got your smells. What can you make with them? Your sniffs. Yes. <laughs> so perfume types reflect the concentration of aromatic compounds in a solvent, which is fine fragrance is typically ethanol or a mix of water and ethanol. As the percentage of aromatic compounds increase, so does the intensity and longevity of the scent. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, most of the time it's an oil that you're putting in this ethanol, and ethanol evaporates fairly quickly, just leaving the oils on your skin. So the more oils that are there, longer it lasts. That, yeah, makes a lot of sense. That's always been, like, what I wonder is, like, why do cheap perfumes seem to last zero seconds? But, like, an ex expensive perfume will stick around for three years. Well, and just a pro tip, if you put a little bit of lotion that's either a matching scent to the one that you're using or an unscented lotion where you're putting your perfume, it will absorb the scent from those oils and kind of sink into your skin a little bit better. Hmm. Interesting. Good tip. So specific terms are used to describe a fragrance's approximate concentration by the percent of perfume oil in the volume of the final product. So we have perfume. It's also called perfume extract, per perfum, perfumum, pure perfume, or simply just perfume. And this has a 10 to 40% aromatic compound. This is your really, like, intense shit. Yeah. Also, I know 15 to 40% is, like, kind of a wide range, but I didn't make the fucking rules. And then you have eau de parfum or perfume de, de, perfume de toilette. Okay. This is what you usually buy when you buy perfume. Yeah. Okay. And this has 10 to 20% aromatic compounds, typically around 15%. So what accounts for the overlap then? If I could not tell you. Just shits and giggles? Like this is... Yeah. I mean, it's kind of... From what I could tell, there are standards, but they're kind of like with olive oil where no one's really like... Hmm. enforcing it a bunch right so as long as you meet that like 15 percent threshold you could probably just call it perfume and yeah no one will tell you differently yeah and specifically stuff sold under eau de perfume was more popular in like the 1980s mm -hmm. and then you have eau de toilette which is five to 15 percent aromatic compounds typically around 10 percent uh, this is the standard for most masculine perfumes or colognes. Mm, gotcha. But then you have eau de cologne, simply called cologne sometimes, which is about 3 to 8% aromatic compounds, typically about 5%. Okay, so they're just less smelly. Yeah. And then you have eau fraiche, which is often sold as splashes, mists, veils, you know, vanilla scented shit that teenage girls liked <laughs> the cotton candy body spray from bath and body works yeah yeah generally these contain three percent or less of aromatic compounds and are diluted with yes <laughs> and are diluted with water rather than alcohol right so they are not long lasting which makes you use them which more. is why you keep them in your locker and then every time you switch classes you go and you reapply i thank god every day that i wasn't like i didn't have a locker until high school and that I wasn't allowed to wear this stuff to school until high school. Not from, like, my parents. My parents didn't give a shit. Like, they bought me this stuff. Like, I had, you know, Cinderella perfume when I was, like, eight. It was a school thing. But, oh, right, but you went to, yeah, Catholic school. And... Yeah. I also had an older sister. Mm. Um, but luckily, I showed up in high school just at the height of Axe Body Spray. 
Perfect. Great timing. No one would go near the gym, like the boys' locker room entrance after uh, certain periods. <laughs> All right. So now you know where perfume came from. I do. How you get, how you get the smells, what the different smell situations are called, and different concentrations. So now let's talk about actually physically making perfume. So the job of composing perfumes... And composing is the correct word here, because there are notes. Ah, like music. I get it. So the job of composing perfumes that will be sold is left up to an expert or perfume compositioner or the perfumer, also sometimes referred to as nez, which is French for nose. I love it. It's, they're the nose. <laughs> they're just, that's really what they're good at is being a nose and sniffing. I mean, there are some people who do have like super noses, like Remy the Rat. I'm assuming this is a ratatouille. It is a ratatouille thing. Okay. Or Gus from Psych. Two very real human beings. (laughs) Or L. Ron Hubbard, I think, also. Was a super smeller? Yeah. I didn't need to know that. Yeah, he's a real shithead. Um, That's just information I have in my head now, Emily. It was information I had in my head, and I'm sharing it. (laughs) You don't need to give it to all of us. Right, so the composition of a perfume typically begins with a brief by the perfumer's employer or an outside customer. The customers to the perfumer or their employers are typically fashion houses, which make, you know, perfumes or other industries like car air fresheners and cosmetics and candles and, I don't know, cleaning products. Anything that smells good. Anything that has a smell that's specific. Uh, the perfumer will then go through the process of blending multiple f- perfume mixtures and sell the formulation to the customer, often with modifications of the composition to the perfume based on their feedback. Uh, the perfume composition will then either be used to enhance another product as a functional fragrance like shampoos, makeup, detergents, car interiors, whatever, or marketed and sold directly to the public as a fragrance. The thing with perfumes is that sure there's like a specific like kind of method of it but the fact is it's just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what smells good yeah i was like i can't i'm i'm sure how you get experience where you kind of like realize like if i combine this and this in this sort of proportion it's going to yeah. come out smelling like this like yes but generally i have to imagine like there isn't like rules like to get this and this get mixed this there's actually a, a scene in perfume story of a murderer <laughs> thank you Where Dustin Hoffman gets a hold of a perfume from, like, a rival, and he's trying to recreate it. And so it's literally just him with, like, a stack of handkerchiefs, and he'll put a little on the handkerchief and, like, wave it in front of his face, and then, like, take some notes, and then get a new handkerchief and do it again. It's a really finicky process. I can imagine. All right, so perfume oils usually contain tens to hundreds of ingredients, and these are typically organized in a perfume for the specific role that they will play in and how quickly they will evaporate off the skin. Because certain smells evaporate faster. Like, if it's a lighter, kind of, like, lilac scent, it won't stick around for as long as, like, musk. Right. I could not tell you why. Base notes are the part of the perfume that lasts longest on the skin. The middle notes evaporate a little more quickly, and the top notes are the most volatile and disperse most quickly they're like the kind of the first thing that i was hits gonna you. say it's the first thing you smell but it's also the thing that like goes away yeah. the fastest bridge notes have intermediate evaporation rates and serve to like kind of tie it together it's like the rug from the big lebowski like it doesn't play a huge part but you'd miss it if it wasn't there yeah. that's a good uh, metaphor <laughs> 
Thank you. Analogy, I guess. Uh, so sometimes other substances are added to a perfume formulation, such as sea salt, black pepper, camphor. These, uh, since essential oils evaporate at different rates, the way a perfume smells actually changes over time when you wear it, like we just said. So, like, right. sea salt and black pepper and stuff, these are kind of those intermediate notes that are a little stronger because mm-hmm. they're not, they're not the, because <laughs> the scent of something is kind of like the memory of it. Yeah. But if you're just putting, like, black pepper oil in there, like, that's just straight. You get yeah. it. Here are some common examples of base, middle, top, and bridge notes for purposes. So for base notes, you get stuff like cedarwood, cinnamon, patchouli, sandalwood, vanilla, moss, fern has a smell. Kind of like those darker, like, earthier yeah. or woody smells. Or um, musk is also a very common uh, base note. Just something solid that you can build on. Yeah. So generally speaking, like, if you want to make a perfume, you should have a little of everything. You don't want to just have, like, just lilac that's going to go away. Yeah. You want, a, like, and, like, a complex even... scent that kind of lasts the whole, or, yeah. Exactly. And even stuff that's, like, a singular scent, um, like, if you're buying stuff from, like, Demeter, which is a very specific perfume house, you can get, like... This smells like a specific kind of orchid, but there's also some stuff in there that kind of holds that orchid scent right. down. Yeah. And then you have your middle notes, which, you know, clove, geranium, lemongrass, nutmeg, lang lang. So, like, some florals can be the middle note, but generally you get, like, your more, like, greenery mm-hmm. and some spices, that kind of thing. And then your top notes, bergamot, jasmine, lavender, lemon, lime, orchid, rose is a big one. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you can have bridge notes like vanilla, lavender, like stuff that kind of walks that middle that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Like, so the top, middle, and base notes of the fragrance may have separate primary scents. Like, this is where it gets really, really complicated because uh, you can have like 12, 13, 14 different scents in one perfume. But they're organized into, like, these are the top notes and these are the base notes. And they might have, like, the center of the top note is rose, but it also has, you know, jasmine in it. And the middle note is mostly lemongrass, but it has, like, a hint of clove. This is a disgusting perfume that I am (laughs) describing. I I get it, though, because especially with, like, I have, like, a Kate Spade perfume. I couldn't tell you what it smells like. It just smells nice. Yeah. Like, I can't identify any specific exactly, thing. yeah. I'm sure if you go to, like, the website, they'll have the notes on the website. Yeah. Just so you kind of know what you're supposed to be smelling. The notes may have different scents and, like, supporting ingredients, like the, the pepper and the salt that we talked mm-hmm. about, which sounds like you're seasoning it, but they just happen to have, like, salt is a very nice scent. Um, so the perfume's fragrance oils are then blended with ethyl alcohol and water and aged in tanks for several weeks and then filtered through processing equipment to allow the perfume ingredients in the mixture to stabilize and remove any sediment and particles before the solution can be put into perfume bottles. And you also kind of want to let the perfume sit. It's kind of like a guacamole <laughs> where it will You got to keep the nice. pit in the guacamole so it doesn't go brown. Yes. Uh, no, it'll smell nice when you initially mix it, but the longer you let it sit, well, actually, there's a point of diminishing returns, but you let it sit so all of the scents can kind of mix with each other and, like, almost form new scents. 
Because, like, when you let guacamole sit in the fridge, like, everyone knows about an hour or two hours later it tastes better. I was going to say, or even just, like, leftover casserole or something. Like, Yeah. Well, and the thing with the guacamole is that it's a guacamole, or uh, avocados are super fatty, so right. you're letting all of the flavoring agents from, like... So it's absorbing all of that while it's sitting, yeah. 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 But yeah, you want to let it sit. It's better. Uh, you're supposed to. So that's how perfume is made. And now we're going to learn... Like, very specifically, good lord, this is a long episode. <laughs> yeah, you said this episode wasn't going to be an hour and a half long. <laughs> I didn't think I'd have to take a pee break and, le- like, learn how to read again. <laughs> anyway, but we're going to talk about making your own perfume oil, like, in a rollerball um, in detail. Just in case you're into that. We, have, we all have a lot of free time right now. Yeah, you might as well pick up a new hobby. We're not getting out of lockdown until next year. I will say, I loved making perfumes, it can be expensive, and it can be frustrating. Because Lord help me, I never nailed down that last podcast on the Left Bean Perfume. <laughs> That's exactly what I was just about to say. Is like, I feel like you talked about that for six months, and then it never happened. It broke me. It fucking broke me. Trying to get the exact combination of coffee and wood smoke and, like, dirt. Ugh. It would have been so good. <laughs> I mean... There's all you can always start again, Emily. Coffee is one of the hardest scents to get like an accurate like fragrance oil for, which is weird because coffee is really oily, but maybe I just wasn't spending enough money. Yeah, possible. All right. So making your own perfume oils actually, other than stuff I just said, pretty easy if you're willing to take time to smell a bunch of stuff and make mistakes. Um, so I'll walk you through the process I used, which I can't remember where I learned how to do it. It may or may not be how it's quote unquote done, but it'll get you there. So first you're gonna wanna gather your scents. Actually, first you're gonna wanna write yourself a brief. So think about what you want this perfume to accomplish. What do you want it to smell like? What idea are you trying to get across? Like you can list things that you like the smells of, or you can just think of a concept like I, with working off the concept of last podcast on the left, which it would have worked. After you've written your brief and you kind of know what you're trying to do, you're going to want to gather your scents. And I will encourage you to maybe get more than you think you need because sometimes something isn't going to work and you want to sub it in with something else. Oh, I was also going to say because you have to try and make it like six times before you get the right combo. But also, yes, I guess that would make sense. More more scents than you need. Yeah, because you might want to... This didn't, because when you try it, you're going to say this didn't work and yeah. try something else. Well, and it doesn't take much perfume oil to, to do tests and stuff, which is good. So you can use actual essential oils or you can get fragrance oils um, from places like saveonscents.com and like other soap making places. Mm-hmm. Fragrance oils often, most of the time, have synthetics, but they're cheaper. And in my opinion, they are easier to achieve specific vibes with. What does that kind of like run you just money wise? Um, I want to say, um, so let's take a look at price for one of my favorites on saveonsense.com. So the concentration I was using was standard and it was an ounce of their pure oil. So it was about $3. Oh, that's very cheap. Yeah. I could have gotten like a higher concentration um, because they mix in the the scent compounds with an oil. Mm -hmm. So you can get different concentrations like their extreme 
concentration for one ounce was about $5. So it's not expensive for fragrance oils. Yeah. Essential oils will run you a lot more because they are, uh, they should be pure oils directly from the thing, nothing synthetic. Mm -hmm. But like I said, fragrance oils are nothing to like turn your nose up at their fine. Right. Especially if you're experimenting and trying new things. Exactly. Um, so you'll also need some of those little plastic pipettes that you use for like chemistry experiments. Oh, yeah. Make sure you have one for each scent uh, plus one for your carrier oil. Have a shitload of them, honestly. Look, you get to pretend you're a mad scientist. What? Set up your own mad laboratory. It yeah. And speaking of carrier oil, you're going to need to get yourself a carrier oil, like sweet almond oil or fractionated uh, coconut oil. These are scentless and will carry your fragrance, like they say. Also, I prefer perfume oil over spray perfumes uh, well, because it's easier to control where it's going. Mm -hmm. And also the oil soaks into your skin, so it kind of serves the same purpose as putting lotion on before you spray perfume. Right. I, feel, I also feel like it's like just scented stronger. It, it can be. It stays with yeah. you longer. Um, it's also a little bit cheaper. You can also mix your scent blend with a mixture of oil and beeswax to create a solid perfume, but, like, that's... I'm not gonna... We're not gonna get into that. Solid perfume is dope, though. I love solid perfume. It's great for traveling. All right, and then you find a place to put your oil, your your perfume, perfume oil. A 10 milliliter glass rollerball vial is a very good bet. Um, the size makes it easy to figure out formula, like your formula because percentages are involved and they're pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. All right. So now that you have figured your shit out, gotten your scents, gotten your supplies, you got to figure out your combinations before you start pouring stuff into vials. You're going to need your, your base note, your middle note, top note. It can be many things for each one, but just kind of organize them in what you think they're going to be. And then you're going to take just a fat stack of those little cotton rounds that you used to take your makeup oh, off. Oh, yeah, got hundreds of those. And a shitload of little plastic baggies. I recommend getting the little ones from Amazon that you put, like, wedding favors or drugs in instead of Ziplocs. <laughs> if it's only wedding favors or drugs. It either has Adderall in it or Jordan almonds. <laughs> it's never anything else. <laughs> I'm going to need you to use a screenshot of that uh, for the slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> I do still have a shitload of them. Or maybe I don't because I got rid of most of my stuff, but not, not the point. Okay. So then you just take your pipettes and your notes and you put like combinations of drops on the little uh, cotton rounds and you see what you like. So like do, I don't know, three drops of your top note and one of the base and just fuck around with it. Just do one combination per cotton round and then take notes, stick it in a plastic bag, and then leave them for a week. Like the guacamole. And then... Please don't leave guacamole yes, in like your guacamole. fridge for a week. Yeah, this is the guacamole principle. <laughs> and, like, if you need some help figuring out, like, where you want to go, like, you could do some earthy tones with patchouli or some floral, like, geranium, jasmine, rose, violet is one of my favorites. Do you have, like, do you know of a good resource where it, like, kind of lays them out as, like, these are generally base notes, these are generally middle notes, that sort of thing? No, you... Or is that kind I of just, like, most... you gotta figure it out? You gotta figure it out. You gotta smell stuff. You gotta Google stuff. There are websites that will kind of help guide you in that. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta play with it. So after you have left your shit for a week and taken very good notes, open those back up, 
give them a sniff. And just keep doing this until you find something you like or until you rage quit and (laughs) don't make perfume anymore. And give all your stuff away. All right. So it helps to do the amount of drops in... For me, it was in eights because I did an 80% concentration. Um, So like eight drops equals like one cotton pad. Uh Uh-huh. So I tried to to formulate it like that. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So like I said, I like my oils at 80% concentration, which means that 80% of the final mixture is pure perfume oil because I was using a lower concentration. Right. Uh, So you'll have to take those notes and how many drops and figure out how much of each oil you use to produce your scent and kind of figure it out how it is relative to your container. It sounds like a pain in the ass, but it's like a fun word problem. Everyone loves math. And then... Yeah. And I don't know if I mentioned, but it does matter which order you add your scents to. So you always want to start with your base note and then the middle note and then the top note. Um, Otherwise, your base note just kind of hits it all at once and it just smells like must. Yeah. Are you adding like, um, wow, my mind's totally blank. Like you're putting the drops in like the same area of the cotton pad, right? Yeah. Okay. You're not just yeah, kind of like kinda scattering drop. them around like no, polka dots. dropping them in the... Well, I mean, you can even like rub it together a little bit and kind of mix things. But yeah, I tend to do it in the center okay. in the same place in order. So you want to take them in the order that you added them to the cotton pad in the amounts that you added them to create the scent you want. You have to recreate it. So you put those in your glass vial and then you let it sit for a week or two. And then you add, you add your carrier oil, you give it a shake... You've made perfume. Yay. Yeah, I know. Like, it was a very roundabout way of getting there, but you did it. (laughs) Um, So if you need some, like, tips on, like, where to start, um, I have two of my old formulas for free (gasps) for you. Um, So I got all of the fragrance oils from Save On Sense and their lowest level concentration. Uh, So adjust shit accordingly if you, you know, get them from somewhere else or whatever. <clears throat> so the first one is my Ravenswood, which was my favorite perfume. It's kind of like a, it smells like an old library. Ooh. I did it based on Phantom Manor, the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland Paris. So if that tells you anything. It, yes. It tells you everything. It's very on brand, but continue. So your base note is going to be uh, must, which it smells like old books. Love that smell. You're going to do that. It, yeah, it's 40% must. And then you're going to hit it with 27% violet, which is going to be your middle note. And yes, it adds a little bit of an old lady scent to it, but I mean, that's also nice. part of the charm, I imagine. Yeah. And then 33% lemon tea. Ooh. The tea is specific. You can use normal lemon or you can use like bergamot, but highly recommend the lemon tea. Um, or if you're more masculinely, masculinely? That's a word inclined you can try dear watson which also smells like an old library but like the old library in a dude's house very specific it smells like martin freeman's house um so that's going to be 40 percent tobacco 20 percent leather and 40 percent bergamot ginger blood orange yeah that sounds very nice now the bergamot ginger blood orange did can't come in one scent so if you buy them all separately i don't know mix them and put 40% in there. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Do some math. I cheated. That um, is yes. very intense as far as like how many things are rolled into that one scent. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but they're all pretty similar in terms of like scent family. Mm-hmm. Like you have the bergamot and blood orange, 
but then the ginger just kind of warms it up a little bit, which is nice because you have a lot of like deep kind of muskiness with the tobacco and the leather. Anyway, that's how you make perfume. That's where perfume came from. I'm finally done. Do you have any questions? Honestly, makes me want to go put on all my perfumes again. Oh, yeah. What perfume are you wearing? Well, none because I don't leave my house. Um, I'm a big fan. Of, I don't think they sell it anymore, but Lush had a solid perfume that they, um, the name of it is literally Death and Decay, and it's supposed to smell like dying flowers. It's so great. <laughs> Let's see. Lush, Death and Decay. What notes do we have in this bitch? I've never tried Lush's perfumes before. I mean, I got like a little bitty tin like five years ago, and I still have it. It looks like Lang Lang, Tonka, Rose, Jasmine. Yeah. Ooh, they use absolutes in theirs. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds nice. Do they still it sell like it? They do. Am I... It does look like they sell us. Well, yeah, no, they still sell okay, it. Okay, great. Like, what it am is I... out of stock. What am I going to do when it runs out? Well, it is $149.95 for a 3.3 ounce bottle. That doesn't seem correct. On the Lush website or where are you getting it? LushUSA.com. It doesn't come in solid anymore. Anyway, you said you were wearing a Kate, Kate Spade or... Oh, yeah, I have one of those. I don't know what it's called and I can't reach it without getting up from my desk. Um, it's nice, though. Oh, damn, that is expensive now. It was not yeah. that expensive when I got it. I didn't think so. Yeah, I still sometimes wear that Ravenswood because uh, I have it in a solid perfume that I keep in my, like, travel bag. But I spent a decent amount of money and a lot of time in the middle of, uh, I don't know quarantine in may figuring out what my new scent was going to be when i finally emerged from the cocoon that is my house yeah what did you finally Um, land on well i went to demeter um and i tried stuff like pixie dust and grapefruit tea and mixing them and like trying to do that and then i finally just decided that i was just gonna wear their earl gray perfume oil nice very nice and basic yeah i got that for my everyday and then i got a little uh snow which it's like sharp but floral like it's really nice and then they sent me a free bottle of a spray perfume that's like a very specific rainforest orchid yeah it's like spicy it's nice um but yeah all my perfume is from demeter i've i bought lady gaga's perfume a while ago that was fine Sarah Jessica Parker has a nice perfume i just remembered there's one i haven't bought in a while but i had it for a little bit Tokyo Milk does, like, a gin and rose water perfume. Oh, damn. It's real oh, nice. Shit. I actually do have one, like, super special occasion perfume because it's crazy expensive. Uh, it's from Imaginary Authors, and it's called St. Julep. It's a... Imaginary Authors is a local perfume house. Oh, okay. And St. Julep, it's, it's, like, perfect, but it's so expensive that, like, I couldn't justify buying it over, you know, like, a $10 perfume oil. Um, but that has notes of m- sweet mint, tangerine, magnolia, bourbon, and sugar cube. God damn. I know. It's fucking amazing. Like, if I had the $95 to have a bottle of this, instead I have the two milliliter, like, sample bottle. <laughs> um, it's a very, very so, special yeah. occasions. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I, I wear. Like, I love St. Julep, but it's for, I, I guess, my wedding and my funeral at this point. <laughs> I mean, $95 isn't that bad. Like, it's not. There are better it's things really to spend $95 on. Don't get me wrong, but like, I might someday just, if you want to treat yourself. Yeah. It, if we get another, you know, 
government payouts. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see. Anyway, so uh, if you have a scent that you like, or this episode was so long and like poorly put together that you have something to say about it, we are on Twitter at Afternoonified. Uh, Instagram at Afternoonified, getafternoonified.com. You can email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, please remember to subscribe, rate, review. Check out our new merch. Yeah, we got very so cute. much new merch. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I got nothing. Good. Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you, unless you're Sadie. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do. A podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.